Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Muslim Moms Podcast with Nabiha and Warda. We are two sisters with 10 kids between us, sharing our experiences about motherhood, relationships, and striving to build happy Muslim families. Let's get cracking. Today's question is, what schooling model have you chosen for your child? Well, I can say right now my kids are currently in public school and I have gotten into a lot of different models that we can go through. But off the bat, what have you chosen for your child? Okay, so clearly um, this topic will be an interesting one because I am a teacher. I've been a teacher for almost 12 years now. Um in so many educational settings. Um, and now I'm a first time uh, parent of a kindergartner this past school year. So it's gonna, it, it is very different, extremely different. So my son actually attends a charter school. Mm-hmm. And up till, you know, summer and stuff, we were still not 100% sure. I mean, it's such a big decision. Um, it feels like it probably really isn't, but it feels like a massive decision because there's so many things you have to think about when you're making that choice. No, it is definitely a big decision and putting your kids through school because they will be spending a majority of their childhood up until the 12th grade and probably, uh, you know, seeking out some further education. So education in the whole, it's such a big deal. And the model, the outlet that you choose for your child to receive that, it's extremely important, but it's also very confusing. So I know exactly the feelings you're going through because I have gone through it several times. Mm-hmm. Um, being a mom of so many children. So it's it's a really difficult thing. And I, I can relate to parents who just, they feel overwhelmed by it. Well, yeah, because I mean, I think that what helps to make the decision a little bit uh, softer is the fact that you could always change your mind. Like, I know it's not ideal, but people, you know, try different things. And if it doesn't work out, it's, it's okay. You know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to just think of it as one school year at a time. But we ended up um, looking into a lot of options. Um, we knew off the bat, our personal this public school that we were zoned for would not be a choice of ours just because we're not zoned for a very high quality school. Um, and I'm really picky, you know, being a teacher my expectations are pretty high. Um, I really look for so many things in a school. And so um, I wasn't sure, you know, where we would land. Um, so just to kind of put a lay of the land, you know, I know not everyone is heavily involved in education um, in terms of like their background, or even maybe this is the first time they're actually thinking about schooling and, and what exactly are the options available to people out there. Um, so I do want to just for the sake of being thorough, kind of go through some of the models that are out there. And, um, you know, we could kind of talk about our experiences because I know you've um, tested out a few different options with your children over the years. A whole lot, not just a few, (laughs) a whole lot. I've gone through every single one you're probably going to go through right there. (laughs) Yeah, you think so. And also, um, I've taught in a few of these environments. And so also the seeing it from the lens of um, a teacher and also like how that plays into my decision and, and choices as well. So um, just to give the list here, we have the homeschool option, which is, um, and and I kind of threw in here also the homeschool-based centers, because there are some centers that use homeschool curriculum and follow more of a homeschool approach, but they do it collaboratively with multiple families. Um, But homeschool can be traditional homeschool. It could be home at 
I'm sorry, school that is done online at home, um, or it could be some kind of eclectic version of all of the above. Um, the private school is another model that many people elect, uh, especially Muslim families, just because you have the Islamic school being one of the primary private school options that is faith-based, um, where you're getting some of that um, spiritual development. And then, of course, there's just the traditional preparatory academic-based private school, which tends to be a lot more on the higher earning income. And you have a certain type of student and family um, that tends to surround themselves in that environment. And then you have public school. Um, and so public school has like a lot of different things that fall under that. We have the charter school, which I know is confusing for a lot of people, but charter just basically means that they have the same funding source as the public school, but they tend to have a little bit more freedom um, in terms of like their budget and their administrative decisions. They do have to take assessments just like the the private school and, and sort of have that accountability, but they can you know, do their own thing um, and kind of have that free flow with their choices of how they teach and what kind of things they um, emphasize. They um, also all have a, a model of um, the charter schools have a lottery system a lot of times. So they oh, only yes. have a limited amount of students that go to that school. So it's kind of difficult sometimes to get in there if you're chosen and then your sibling is not. So that sort of thing can happen as well. Yes. And I'm really glad you brought that up because with the charter school, a lot of times it's really hard to maintain. You see charter schools opening and closing all the time um, because to maintain a charter school is very, very difficult. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, criteria that has to be met. So the charter schools that end up staying open tend to be like the exceptional ones, like really, really desired charter schools. And therefore, <laughs> a lot of families want to go that route. Um, and so therefore, there tends to be that whole lottery system that develops as an outcome, which is how we landed in the school that my son attends. We ended up um, actually being chosen from that lottery system, which made our decision a lot easier because it was kind of chosen for us in that regard. Um, and under the public school, you might also hear terms like uh, Title I. Title I schools are schools where at least more than half of the students' population come from lower earning income families. Um, so it doesn't necessarily correlate with le lower academic rigor. But there is, you know, a lower socioeconomic um, situation. So there is more um, resources that are given to schools such as Title I schools. Um, and there's also some challenges <laughs> that go with that. Um, you might also hear magnet school. Magnet schools are also um, open to people who are living in different neighborhoods, even though they fall under the public school. Um, and they have a special focus like language, math, science, art. Um, I know that Nabiha, you actually attended a magnet school for a piece of time um, when you started high school. Yeah, it had TV production um, as one of oh, the that's so cool. things <laughs> offering. Unfortunately, I didn't get to attend that particular <laughs> it class. Ended up too much of a strain, right? But yeah, and but I woke up at the crack of dawn, you know, <laughs> to go to this magnet school because it was clear across town. Yeah. But it was preferred, I think, because of the neighborhood we lived in. It was my mom didn't want us going to that particular school. So the yeah. magnet program was a better option for me at that time. Yeah. And, and the school I work at actually is a magnet program, a world language academy. So they focus on second language, uh, Spanish being the language and also French, which is kind of cool to see um, how it plays out. And then the last thing I wanted to mention in terms of models is the online model. Um, so there's a lot of online school options in the state of Florida where we live. We have Florida Virtual School, 
which is one of the top ranking, very well established and um, has received many honors and awards for being an exceptional online school option, which is completely free for any parent that's interested that's part of the state of Florida. Um, and that's just good to know because some people have different lifestyle models. They might travel a lot. Um, they might have health concerns. Um, and so it's always good to know that FLVS is an option or, or home online school at home, whatever your state has in the equivalent. Um, so based on that lay of the land there, I mean, I could say that I've worked for an Islamic school uh, for a beginning of my career, and then I transitioned into a public school. And um, I worked in Title I schools, and then I also worked in the magnet school model. And being in that environment, I could say, like, it is really scary as a Muslim parent seeing um, the kind of behaviors and character and exposure uh, that these uh, typical American children might bring to the table. And then you look at your young child and it is like a little bit nerve wracking, um, wondering, can my child maintain his or her identity in the climate of education and, and pop culture? Um, and so that's, I think, why a lot of families elect Islamic school or really, really um, well chosen charter schools. Unless you're one of those people who have a really great public school that you're zoned for, which I think in your case, Nabiha, your um, family has a local public school that I think meets the criteria for you guys to be a really good choice. Alhamdulillah, yes. Now my kids are attending proper schools that I felt were after looking into them. And the schools are ranked. So there's numbers and they also use like letter grades, A, B, C, that sort of thing. So you can get an idea of where the schools are in 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 that area. Right. Yeah. But if, yeah, I feel like um, right now where my, my kids are, the schools are really good. And even though it's a public school, they provide so much for the children. And there's also all these other outside opportunities for them. So again, I've gone through the gamut of everything you've said there. I've gone to Islamic schools. I've taken my children to that. Uh, I've also went into the charter school option. The homeschool, which was one of my favorites. Actually, when the pandemic hit, my kindergartner couldn't stay online for more than like half an hour. He was just, he couldn't concentrate. So I decided to take him out of school and homeschool him. And that was one of the best experiences I ever had. And he was actually, now that he's attending first grade, um, he's doing really well in his class because he had that first prep with homeschool. And it was difficult. Yes, it took a lot of time because I had a baby and a toddler at the time, but uh, it was really beneficial and I really enjoyed that process. And I have not eliminated that in the future of using that as for my other children as a resource if need be, because I felt like there's always something scary to me that homeschool, oh my gosh, what do we have to do? And then you hear those rumors about kids who go to homeschool, they're not socialized and they don't know how to get along with other kids. And yeah. I mean, as a parent, all these things go through your mind. So just based on that experience, I feel like it was really beneficial for my son and I really enjoyed our time. And then I can also implement some of the Islamic studies that I wanted to teach him. So some Quran, some um, memorization, just like different things within our religion. So the curriculum itself, I was designing it in a sense and following along uh, a, a certain guideline, but it was primarily me coming up with the information. So the homeschool model was definitely useful at that time. And I see myself probably utilizing it in the future with some of my other kids, if need be. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, and one of the things actually that um, I read was a trending topic before the pandemic hit that would be a trending topic for 2020 in terms of education would be a lot more people migrating to homeschool. And that was prior to the pandemic that homeschool was just picking up in popularity. And that was probably due to social media and um, a lot more homeschool families being able to share the reasons that they homeschool. Because like you mentioned, there was this typical uh, idea of a homeschool child being this socially awkward child that, you know, studies independently and does, you know, has a lot of drawbacks. But I think people started like, um, looking into that and realizing like there's so many cool benefits of homeschool, not only the freedom of your schedule, but also the freedom of your curriculum and that you can make it faith-based to add that Islamic studies element, add that family dynamic. Um, and so like yourself, I do also sort of daydream a bit about a day that I can homeschool my, my, my children, um, especially being someone who's, you know, spent so much time dedicated towards teaching children. <laughs> I feel, uh, you know, remiss sometimes. I'm like, man, I really should be teaching my own children. And so I do battle with that. Um, but I also love being in the classroom. So I don't know, maybe in the future, I might um, decide to just take on homeschooling, especially as all my children reach into that school age. Um, I think it'll be a cool time. Um, but I'm so excited for whatever way that we kind of get forward. Um, but with the Islamic school, I think what you what you had mentioned um, with the Islamic studies element, I think that's a real concern for a lot of parents, um, Muslim parents, especially like, how is my child going to fit in the Islamic education within the framework of the academic? Um, and so if you're not doing the Islamic school method, which Come on, even Islamic school, you have to do that maintenance and that that support at home. It's not like you could just send them to Islamic school and expect they're going to turn out amazing and know everything about the deen. Um, but nonetheless, at least you can kind of be assured they're getting some Islamic daily intake. So for those of us who don't have that Islamic school model, you know, it's really critical to establish that identity and that culture. So I'm curious as to you know, how your family has navigated that. I know for us growing up as children, our parents were so gung-ho on creating an Islamic culture at home, you know, with family prayers and constant Sunday madrasas and community events and uh, even to the point of like road trips with Islamic songs, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Very singing true. as a family, like if we were... um what do you call those carolers? <laughs> we would sing those Islamic songs because we were just so like building that identity as a family unit. And I look back and I'm really, really thankful that we were able to grow up in that way. Well, I think one of the reasons that they did instill those kind of values and, and the Islamic culture to us was because we are both products of the public school education. So that education itself is not a bad one. It's not a bad choice to say, but with that, as with anything, comes drawbacks, right? So you have to be able to instill the Islamic education and the values and the, you know, the things that you want to teach your kids about your faith. You have to be able to have some sort of way to do that. So for myself, I know I've done things where they had to go after school and do some, um, they were learning to read the Quran and they would go to these Islamic classes, um, after school. And we're still navigating this and trying to, figure out how much and and what to teach them and the syllabus and all that stuff. So 
I think that's one of the drawbacks for a lot of parents. But at the same time, if you send your kids to Islamic school, just because you send them there does not mean that you don't have to do anything. All right, we send them there and they'll, be, they'll turn out to be these perfect good Muslims who are contributing members of society. No, your parent, that's your kid. You have to parent them and you have to be able to instill that. And it's not something that's very easy to do. So it's never um, easy, <laughs> no. no matter what. I mean, uh, one of the things that I know in Islamic school in Chicago that has been known for being, you know, really big in research based education, they actually decided that instead of having the students memorize like the whole 30th Jews in elementary school and then go on to other parts of the Quran in middle and high school, they realized that by the time these students graduated eighth grade, they had forgotten everything they learned in elementary school. Um, and it's very a tragic reality that many, many kids can memorize Quran on and on and on. But then the rep um, the revision part of it is sometimes neglected and it causes many years, uh, you know, these students end up forgetting. So they actually spend their entire middle school revising <laughs> what they've already started to learn. So at the very least, they're exiting knowing a portion of the Quran. Um, and I saw so it's it's not based on just like... Uh, this idea of like uh, graduation, kids know things. It's more about this lifestyle culture of developing that Islamic character and that identity. And so depending on wherever you send your child, if it's Islamic school, you know, I think families and parents, we hold our schools accountable, you know, and I do believe that the heart of a school is parents and teachers. Um, the teachers really have the ability to make an impact doesn't matter what the school culture might be, but if that teacher is driven and, and invested in your child, man, they can do so much for your child and, and helping them grow um, academically and also just uh, socially and in all the other forms that growth needs to happen emotionally. I would say that if the opposite can also be true, that if your child, if your child's teacher is not invested in your child mm -hmm. and is kind of like, because I know last year for virtual school, my son's teacher basically just he he was turned off by school. He didn't even want to attend school because the teacher just kind of did not address him and didn't want to deal with him. And it was a big problem. And he kind of suffered so much because of that. So it can be the opposite, where if you see a teacher who's just they've labeled your kid a certain way and they don't treat them with the the same way that they treat other kids, it could be a problem. So that's something that you need to address as a parent. Yes. Don't let it slide or pass, you know? Yeah. Question your child and ask them questions and, and find out what's occurring. Because I remember that happening to me a lot growing up in my academic experience. I remember a lot of teachers uh, treating me with uh, just in a way that made me feel as a child, I can relate to the feeling of I don't feel welcomed or I don't feel like I'm being seen in the way that I would like to be seen. Um, you know, just like another kid that's not celebrating a holiday, you know, now that's more work for me, <laughs> that kind of vibe, you know, and I've seen a lot of changes occur with the um, onset of like more multicultural education and educating diversity training. Um, but there's still, you know, people in there and in the schools that are really just not interested in, welcoming children as you would hope. And so there is a lot of work to be done there and raising our children with that strength of identity um, is really critical. I know I joke with my son, Jabir, who um, has a, a name that's not the easiest to pronounce. And so I do tell him, like, keep reminding people how to say your name correctly. 
don't allow them to mispronounce it. And if they do, you know, be kind about it. Say, you know, you're almost there. You almost got it. (laughs) But at the same time, that is your name. That is your identity. And so it's just kind of creating that small baby step of advocating for yourself, understanding that you, you are someone that deserves to be there, a seat at the table and don't let that, you know, being different, so to speak, um, cause you to feel any kind of way. Getting back to how we bring in the Islamic studies into the home, um, one of the things that has worked really well for us with the younger aged kids is bringing in a lot of books um, that have stories of the prophets or that have, um, we have this great Migo and Ali series that just has very small digestible parts of the religion that you can read with them and discuss with them. I have started some books with them and I realized like, whoa, this is like, it feels too intense. (laughs) And I had to reel it back. Maybe it wasn't age appropriate. But as they kind of go into that five, six, seven year old age group, I find that these books are really great ways of slowly and simply implementing some Islamic um, information to your children um, until they enter like a formal program or a formal curriculum that, you know, there are many options out there that you can look into as well. Um, one of the points that I wanted to make is that a lot of times for the Islamic schools, some of the things that are said about them that are negative is that you are, by sending your kids to this type of model, you're kind of preventing them from living in uh, the normal society or kind of creating a false world for them where they're only interacting with Muslims and they're not really being exposed for the outside world. And again, just with everything, it's good and bad with each thing. The Islamic schools have the same problems that the regular schools have because it is the same society that we're living in. So you'll find kids who are cursing, bullying each other. And then a lot of times within, you know, why people try to take their kids out or, or want to shield their kids from going to certain schools is because a lot of the gun shootings that we hear about. Again, living in this society, these are things that you make dua constantly for your children because you don't want them to end up in these kind of situations. I know my son came home one day and he told me that they have drills for gun shootings, active shooters, as they call it. So that's scary that your kids have to be, you know, learning these skills, not just about like a fire happening, but also about these active shooter situations, but that's the reality of the society. And I know the Islamic schools as well, they probably do these same types of things because this is where we're at. So have these conversations with your child and don't try to like protect them about everything. You got to prepare them, I think. And at age appropriate, of course, these conversations, but letting them know that if such and such happens. And I know one of our experiences is my son was being very badly bullied during school. They were calling him names and teasing him and taking his stuff away from him. And it was a huge issue. And when we went to, we went first to the teacher, then the administrator, then of course the principal and all of these people, as we went through the steps and, and followed all the rules, the principal basically told us boys will be boys and that's how it is. And, you know, we're being too sensitive. And that was one of the things that I felt was unacceptable. And of course, after that incident and things not improving, I basically took my kid out of the school and I was like, no, this is not happening. So it it was to that level. Oh, I I love the points that you brought and the safety thing. I mean, that is that is real. And, And safety, as you mentioned, goes from as far as like active shooter to 
bullying, <laughs> you know, and that can occur in any school setting, which hopefully it's not going to occur in homeschooling. That's probably the one that you have the least worrying. Hopefully there's no bullying in the home. But um, I do remember feeling um, a bit of anxiety sometimes when I go to work and just wondering, like, if somebody was to come on campus right now, how would I protect these children? What would my actions be like? That should not be a thought of a person who works in a elementary school. But that is the reality of living in 2021. It's just uh, something we have to think about and we have to consider. So, um, you know, there's this topic, we just kind of wanted to give it a little test run and, and like talk about it because there's so many families out there who are now um, dealing with this uh, decision of making schools, um, school choices and navigating it as a first time parent of someone going to school, I could tell you it's a lot. It's very fast paced and overwhelming, but it's also so exciting. My child is reading one month in. I'm just like flabbergasted. Like I cannot believe the growth and it's really exciting. Um, and so as you guys, you know, our listeners, um, please share with us questions you have and, and things you want to know more about this topic so we can get more deeper into it because it is a really vast topic. But as we kind of wrap up this podcast for today, um, my my sort of last things I just want to touch on is that like when you're going about making this decision, just prioritize your values, you know, plan according to your needs. Don't think like there's a perfect model or there's this one school that everybody's going to that I have to go to like that. That's not how it works. Be realistic. Like if convenience is number one for you. No matter how great the school is, if you're going to be doing a two hour commute every day, it ain't worth it. You know, it might not be worth the, the well-being. Been of there, family. done that. <laughs> kids out of school because of that. <laughs> yeah, it's just sometimes not worth it. And, and also consider your child's needs. Like if you are have a child with special needs or a unique talent or maybe you're a family of different language speakers, you know, consider these things because schools are designed to meet these needs. And we want to make sure that you're putting your child in the best environment for them to grow and flourish. Um, and then the last thing, just kind of like a little hack or like a little secret of someone who's in the depths of the educational environment. As a parent, as a family, you really need to be involved and have a presence in your child's school. Make sure that the principal, the people in the school, the teachers, the people who kind of run the show know what you look like. They've seen you before. Because I'm going to tell you, it does go far away um, in terms of like them identifying who the parents are of this child. And also, this is just like a little little tip here, like be cordial. Because if you have a bad interaction with that school, uh, it does stick. I, I wish it didn't, but it does. They, they start labeling your family and, and start uh, creating this image and it could cause you some kind of consequences for your other children so just be cordial don't don't lose your temper you know on your school and try to maintain you know that that manners and stuff but at the same time you know be brave and and stand up for when you need to if there really is a legitimate concern um and inshallah ta'ala you know it will be a, a great outcome for you so let's go ahead and talk about what's next well, for my what's next, I would say for people to talk to other moms about their school experiences and ask them why they chose the particular school for their children. Um, opening up dialogue in general and getting new ideas, opinions, and it could either make you feel better about your choice or it can help you to look into other options that may be available. So it's just a good discussion to have overall. Yeah, definitely. You learn so much. 
there's so many people who have been out there, have tried different things. And if you just start talking to people, you'll realize there's a lot that you can learn. Um, and then my, from my what's next, I have, uh, send your child's teacher a thank you. Just, just think about, you know, not just on the teacher thank you week, just like randomly on a Tuesday in November or October, just send them like a little $5 coffee gift card or send some muffins or do something nice for your child's teacher. Because I'm going to tell you, man, it's really rough out there. Like the, the, not just, I'm not just talking about the salary and stuff. I'm just saying in general, there's so much expectation and so much responsibilities placed on teachers. And I remember specifically last year when I went to go get my son, who's in VPK at the time, a thank you card for his teacher at big box stores. I went to three stores. Not one of them could have a thank you teacher card. Like it's not sold enough to be printed. And that's the reality of our culture. Like it's not something that is really, really um, emphasized enough. So if you can do that, I think it, it really can um, build that relationship because you are a team, you and your child's teacher and the whole family unit. It's a team effort. And so just wanted to put that out there. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And as always, be good to yourself. To support this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. For feedback, topic ideas, or just to continue the conversation, email us at muslimmomspodcast at gmail.com. Assalamu alaikum.